Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers, Superintendent of Schools for ALEF ISD, and I want to uh, welcome everyone who is either listening or viewing uh, today's episode. Uh, as always, I'm greatly appreciative, and our school district is greatly appreciative for those of you who have expressed interest in in our school system and what we do both internally and externally with our community and across the state of Texas. Today, we're gonna we're gonna dive into a topic that's pretty delicate, but it's a it's it's delicate for some people, but for Aleaf, it's a it's a and it's an everyday conversation, and it's it's some it's a conversation that everyone is not afraid to have. As a matter of fact, we value these discussions, and so I am uh, excited and pleased to uh, introduce Miss Crystal Williams. Crystal is a uh, government teacher at Taylor High School, one of our large high schools, and I can't think of a better course to have been teaching for the last twelve months <laughs> with all that's going on in our country. So with that, Crystal, thank you for joining us. I know you've, you've been teaching all week, but thank you for being uh, on uh, Impact Ed today. Oh, definitely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, like you said, I'm Crystal Williams, and this is my 23rd year teaching and my 20th year in A-Leaf. I've taught at both ELSIC and currently at Taylor, like you said, uh, Taylor High School, where every day is a great day to be a lion. <laughs> Special shout out to Ms. Williams and the social studies department. <laughs> When I looked up, I realized it's been 20 years and time flies when you're having fun. I love teaching in A-Leaf. I stopped by Elsick High School on a whim in 2000 over the summer. And um, Dr. Jackson was an associate principal. He interviewed me on the spot and it's been history ever since. Sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, you're teaching at A-Leaf? And I'm like, yes, I'm teaching at A-Leaf. Like, it, it's a great place to teach. I, I, I can't imagine myself anywhere else. Awesome. I, I agree. And I've heard so many teachers and employees in this district say the same thing, that they're just, they're blessed to be here. And we say this a lot. We, we've got our problems like everyone, you know, every organization does and got our challenges and, and we attempt to address them. But yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you feel that way. And I'm in particular, I'm, I'm happy about this conversation and your willingness to mm -hmm. talk uh, from your perspective as a teacher, as a person, and in your experiences in, in your life. So I taught government too, and I taught history, and so we're of kindred spirit in that regard. I've, I, right. The older I've gotten, the more I think the more I respect history. Like the mm -hmm. more I, res I respect what it is and what it was, or what it was, and then what it's you know the role it plays right now in current life. The old adage, "What goes around comes around," and is really true. And or mm -hmm. or the old adage, "If you fail to learn from your past, you're condemned to repeat it." So today, if you want to know where you're going, you got to know where you come from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of little sayings that that are true. I mean, they're mm -hmm. they're true. As I mentioned to you the other day, I want to talk about some of the racial issues that have not only taken place in the last 10 months, but just kind of a conversation with uh, about how it's kind of led to that and what it's what, how it got there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you know, talking about your, your students and what kind of conversations are, are teachers having with kids about this and have been having with kids. And I know we're in February. We're recording this in February. And I, I realize it's Black History Month. And we all attempt to celebrate those special contributions and the things that have occurred in the uh, African-American experience, if you will, in, our, in mm -hmm. our country. But for those listening or watching, I don't, this conversation was not born out of Hey, it's Black History Month, so let's talk about this. This is this is not. Uh, I told Miss Williams I was worried that that the perception would be that, and I, I'm that is not what that's not what this is. This is a conversation that needs to be had in January and March and April and May and June and you know all twelve months of the year, not just one mm -hmm. month. So, so we're not going to talk so much about Black History Month, but we are going to talk about the African American 
and the racial uh, experience of, of, mm-hmm. of what's going on. And then for those of you that are listening, how is that being communicated and what's being talked about in, in classes? So with that, Crystal, if you don't mind, maybe just go back to when all this started happening and you were having interactions with your kids. What, how did those well, conversations go with, with kids? Um, I think the interesting thing is that we have been having these conversations for a very long time, the last few years. You know, you mentioned Black History Month, TASA, the Taylor African-American Student Association. A few years back, Janice Taylor was the sponsor. And throughout the month, every week, she would have seminars. And every year there was a social justice seminar where, um, you know, and and for that one, we would always have a very large turnout for kids because kids wanted to talk about it. They wanted to talk about how they felt, um, what they saw was happening and the things that were going on for them. And so for years, we've been having this conversation back in the spring. I think when we, after um, Ahmaud Arbery had been killed, and, and of course we weren't in school but as we were chatting with my students uh, through Schoology, um, one of the things they said was, man, I wish that we were here because I know we could really talk about it. But they had very strong feelings about what was going on because I think it was the fact that the attack, that, that it happened, that he was killed, number one. And um, number two, the how slow that the, the system seemed to react. As people began to protest it, you start to see like this, this increase. And then by the time we got to George Floyd, we saw a big swell. And so again, people, students, they're passionate. You, you really see their passions coming out that this is an injustice, that they say this is 2020, you know, now we're 2021 and we go back to history. These are some of the same things that we're, we're seeing repeating. And a question that they have is, how is that? Why is that? Why are we in 2021 in this time period, but you see the same attitudes and the same actions um, taking place. And so we talk about, well, what can we do mm-hmm. to change it? What is their role in changing it? Um, many of them feel we need to be active, but then the question is, well, how are we active? What do we need to do? Because sometimes as students, they feel like their voice is stifled. Um, but something that we saw happening in the spring and the summer is that many of the movements, the protests, like the one that we had here in A-Leaf, you had a lot of student involvement, definitely a lot of student involvement. And I tell them like, that's how you, that's what you do. You start letting your voice being heard. But um, like uh, Gandhi said, you have to be the change that you want to see in the world. So if we want to change things, then we have to start, you know, educating yourself and educating others. And you're 20 some odd years of teaching and working with young men, young women. And that's what you're doing. I mean, I, I know I use the term kids that, it's not, it's, they're, they're still youth, but some of them by no choice of their own have been forced into living an adult life. You know, they've been, they've, mm-hmm. they've been forced to making adult decisions and adult choices that not a lot of us didn't have to do at that age. But as you've talked to them over the years, have you seen a, a an increasing interest oh. or recognition of not just social injustice, but just kind of the, the world they're living in? Right. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I think that is, so if I go back to when I first started in A-Leave, a and of course, it's all because of technology, right? Technology plays a huge role in their lives. Social media plays a huge role in their lives. And so now, 10 years ago, it would have been easier for high school kids to ignore what's going on. But now, because of social media, because they see it all the time, um, and it's constantly things that are being shared with them, they have more of 
you could say like a passion, more of an interest because they're seeing it more, they're hearing it more, they want to ask more questions. And so um, the more that they share with one another, oftentimes I'll find where one student came across an article on Twitter, they're talking about it in class, we would have um, one minute current events. And so they mentioned something and kids are saying, I didn't hear about that. But now kids was like, yeah, I saw that. And um, they start sharing more information. So they are, because they're exposed to it more, they are more passionate about it, wanting to do something about it. The observation of students, well, social media being obviously the the driver of a lot of this, but also just their, uh, it has become a national issue, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's now become thing that is uh, it's covered on the news it's covered in in uh, both print media and and talk shows and things of that nature do you find students who get engaged in these discussions do you find them finding a lot of their information or basing some of their information off of mainstream type news or things that, yes so i'm yes. curious as to kind of where they're getting their news and what don't misunderstand where are they getting their education like where where are they getting these things that they that they believe so passionately in I think, you know, social media kind of the blessing and the curse. So there are going to be some kids who an article from CNN or click to Houston, something comes up, you know, on their feed. But then if they follow um, celebrities and it's something that a celebrity has retweeted, then, um, you know, they get more information. And sometimes there are things that they bring to me and I'm like, wow, I never even heard that. But they saw it on social media and we go pull it up and, go look at other news sources and there it is. And that's something that I tell my students, I encourage them, I say, you, you can't just get it off of Twitter. If you see that, then you need to go and look it up and don't just look at one site. You need to look at multiple sites to see, you know, what are the different news sources saying about this particular issue? Um, Cause they're gonna report on it differently, but through both articles, both sites, you're gonna get the truth of it. And I think the more that they see, the more that they read, the more that they can see themselves in those situations or people that they know. And I I think that's another reason why they're uh, so much more attached to it now because they they are seeing that it can happen to anyone where at one point, 10, 15 years ago, it happened to other people and now it can happen to anyone. And so they realize that next person could be me. And so they want to speak up and be a part of it. As far as the racial component of this, I I mean, I just noticed that over the last couple of years, there is, no longer is it just an African-American who has been victimized and then the African-American community comes out and protest. There's now members of every walk of life that I think is noticing this and realizing this. And there's part of that that, I, that, I'm, that gives me optimism about the direction that even though we're in a rough spot now, that the direction that we're going and that these young, when I say young, 17 through 25, 26 years old, that generation of people are... Uh, maybe not suffer the same pitfalls that our generation Mm -hmm. did. Do they talk about what happens when they, as they get older or do you, you know, where's the, you know, are they cautiously optimistic? What's their forecast for their own future? I think they are cautiously optimistic, but I do feel like teenagers today, especially our kids here in the district that they, like you said, it's not just black people who are coming out and a part of a black lives matter movement. You see so many people, communities who are coming out in support of. And I think because of the diversity of our district, these kids have gone to school together, you know, many of them since kindergarten, they 
have uh, empathy. The other kids have empathy for what's happening. And so they want to be a part of the change as well. One of the things that we say, you know, I tell the kids, it, it can't just be my fight. It can't just be your fight. If we, if we all say we want it to be different, it has to be our fight. We all have to be a part of it. And I think for them to see so many different types of people, different backgrounds, um, a part of the movement this summer, that it makes it more inclusive. That is not someone else's issue, it's an issue for all of us because um, you know we're impacted by, uh, we're all impacted by racism. It's not just if I'm being discriminated against, well, in order for that to stop happening to me, then I need for you to step up and say, well, that's wrong so that more people can join the conversation and, and fight against it. You, you mentioned our students and, and their experience in A-LEAF. Uh, if you're listening or watching this and you live in A-LEAF or you've been in A-LEAF uh, or you're raising children in A-LEAF, you know the diversity. It's, it's, and if you've been here a long time like yourself, that's just the world. That we, that we, we don't know any bit different. There's no, there's no, there's no way of knowing that it's any different than, than, than anywhere else. I, and I talk to students, I talk to kids, students, who graduated from A-LEAF and they've gone to college and I ask them, I say, what are some of the things, you know, did we prepare you right? And what are some of the things that you've learned? And one of the things they'll tell you every time, every single kid will say, I was ready for the diverse population mm-hmm. when some of my friends that I've made in college who came from other backgrounds were not ready. They have not, they have not adapted to dealing with different, you know, different ethnicities or different religions or different, you know, just different cultures. And so, yeah, these kids grow up together. And, and mm-hmm. uh, if the rest of the state or the rest of the country could take notes from how A-Leaf children and students mm-hmm. kind of migrate through their, their school years, we could we'd probably be better off. Um, something that when I was teaching U.S. history, and I think like all of our t- history teachers do, is that um, we really try to highlight that at different times throughout U.S. history, there was a group. So, of course, from slavery on, we know how African-Americans were affected. But we highlight if you were Asian and you came and you were discriminated against, you know, they had signs that said no Asians here. Or if you were Hispanic and there were signs, no Mexicans here, they had segregated schools Mm -hmm. for everyone. And I try to tell my kids that, you know, of course, when we teach about the civil rights movement, it may seem like it's only a black thing, but so many people benefited from, not just black people, people benefited from the civil rights movement, from the advancements. It wasn't just black people, they couldn't vote. Um, When we did our voter registration drive back in November and we were, you know, getting our uh, kids registered to vote, I showed them how women, African-Americans and Hispanics, you know, the process of people, it was a fight for people to get the right to vote. It wasn't always guaranteed. And so I go back to say, it's not just one group's fight, it's everyone's fight that we're all society, we have to all um, buy in and push for this change because it's going to benefit all of us. I think one of the byproducts of all of the the events, not over the last, just last year, but but over the last several years, like you've talked about, is more awareness of our younger population with, with voting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you teach government, so it's kind of a, not only a professional thing, it's a personal thing to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, mm-hmm. I've been blown away at how engaged you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds have, have become in their their voting and then the, the percent mm-hmm. of the voting population that's the, of this generation, this population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably one of the most disappointing things about the pandemic and virtual school is that uh, I wasn't able to be with my students as uh, during the election season yeah. in um, in the fall. 
usually we have in the past, we've had such great conversations and the kids are paying attention. And um, we did the best that we could in that, you know, number one, I tell the kids as a government teacher, I'm always going to tell you your vote counts. Like you have to vote. Register. So even if you register and you say, well, Ms. Williams, I don't know what's going on. You have all the information at your fingertips. Like you can research the issues, the platforms. And so I think uh, we try to do a really good job of informing our students of what's happening. Every every election on every level, we try to say, this is what's going on. Because um, I tell them, if you don't know what's happening on the national level, then look at the state level, look at the local level, look at the school board. Like your vote counts on so many different levels. And these are people who are impacting your life. That there are people who are counting on you not paying attention and not voting. Because if you don't pay attention and you don't vote, then they can pass laws that um, don't benefit you, but they're still going to affect you. And because you're going to be in the real world, because you are going to be impacted by um, the laws that are being made, you need to know what's going on. You you have to know what's going on. You can't afford not to. That's, I tell them that's the bottom line. You cannot, no matter who or where you are in this society, you can't afford to not know. You can't say, I have other things to worry about. That's someone else's yeah. uh, deal. No, it's yours. It, it is the responsibility is on you. Yeah, no, no, no excuse. <laughs> I, talking about the elections, I, I've tried to tell adults, just not students, but, you mm-hmm. know, the most impactful elections in our lives are those in our backyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the presidential election is important. I know, I mean, and it, and it gets the most attention. You know, your state reps and your state senators and your local city councils and your mayors and your county commissioners and your school board members. And those are the individuals who actually take action that impact your life. You know, that I don't know that anything any president has ever done that has specifically impacted people's lives as much as maybe what a state right. elected official has done, you know? Right. So it's, uh, it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, you better pay attention to what's going on here because that's the one that that's where you're, mm-hmm. you're most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Years ago, there was, um, a bond election in a leaf. Um, I think so that the middle schools could get a, an additional gym added on. One of the things that I told my students, I said, look, other schools and other districts have two gyms and you guys only have one. Is that okay? And they're like, no. So do you know how you make that happen? (laughs) If you think that is something that we need, then you need to vote for it. You need to encourage people who are registered to vote for it because it impacts you. Okay, so you're graduating. But if you have younger siblings, nieces or nephews that are going to go to school in A-Leaf, don't you want the best for them? then you need to be involved with it. You need to be active with it. And so trying to make sure that they, that that's my thing. I always want them to see their value in what's happening, that you are very valuable. Even if you may feel like I'm a very humble person, it's just little old me. Well, little old you has a, a much bigger impact than you think. And so getting them to see that and have conversations about why they should vote, who or what they're voting for. One of the things that we did um, for the presidential election was at their assignment, they had to watch the debates. We had several different topics for them um, to write down keynotes from both of the candidates. And then we discussed it. What did you think about you know, what Joe Biden had to say on this? What do you think that Donald Trump had to say on that? And so having them pay attention, mm-hmm. uh, because again, this is important. This is something that you need to know and information that you learn, you can share it with someone else. The social issues of our time right now were actually the social issues of the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that there's been much change in social issues. Equity is a term that has 
you know, as a word, it has become uh, kind of a catchphrase for all of the issues that we, you know, that we find where this injustice is in or what, what, or whatever that topic may be. I'm concerned, I don't know if you'd agree with this, I'm concerned that the term equity uh, could be hijacked or could be, you know, could be redefined and used in a lot of different ways. And if, is there ever a point in the future where that word is, is not as meaningful as it is, or if it's lost its context with what we're attempting to do. And the reason I mention that is, is because, as you know, our district is over the last couple of years have re- has really taken a really close look at our equity, not just policies, but just how do we behave like as adults? Mm-hmm. I, you know, we had people come in and look at our data and look at information and talk to people. And there were areas in which I, as a superintendent, I was surprised. I said, I thought we were more equitable than, than, mm-hmm. than maybe what the real information shows. I think this term and this, the, the way in which we're going about teaching students how to not only live in an equitable society, but how to be a part of an equitable society is, is just as important. And if they're going to continue, like you said, if these that want to make changes to be treated equitably versus equally, which I think mm-hmm. there's, I always say that, I said, listen, there's a difference between those two words. You know, equally is we treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. Equitably, we treat them the way they should be treated. That we give them what they need, as opposed to just giving them a blanket like we give mm-hmm. everyone else. Uh, I don't know. Just what are you? What are your thoughts on that? Or well, I think people confuse equity with equality. Yeah. They think that well, of course, we're the same, and and because society views us the same, then we have the same. We have the same opportunities, and as much as we hate to admit it, we do not. Something that I keep, you know, having conversations with my family and my friends is that we say this is 2021 and people are still fighting for equity. That sure, of course, it is equality. We don't have segregated schools. Uh, We can live in the same neighborhoods, but the opportunities that are there. And it's interesting that you say that because at lunch today, I was speaking with um, Mr. Buckley, Ernest Buckley, who's a teacher here in his class. They were talking about capitalism And a comment came up about how fewer um, black and brown people are able to open businesses that there is, they felt that, you know, when the students felt that they were discriminated against the most. And another student says, well, I don't, I don't see that, that, you know, uh, my family, we were immigrants and we came here and we own businesses. Um, And, and so trying for them to see that equality would be if we were all considered minority and that we all have the same opportunity. But for some reason, um, black and brown people are seen as a greater risk of investing. And so um, they don't have the same opportunities or they have to come up with more capital um, to open these businesses. And so um, the opportunity is not there. They're not given that opportunity. And I I really think, and and even the kids get it now that um, something has to be done. I think that's the thing. They can't figure out, well, what what do we need to do to get equity yeah. for everyone. Yeah, you can only you can only protest in the streets so long, right? I mean, it's not to discount what that means or what it's attempting to mean, but mm-hmm. at some point there has to be a movement or there has to be some type of adjustment, change, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever term you want to use. And I think that's where all of us are struggling. I mean, as a, I mean, a, a white man, 57 years old, trying to identify where is it in this conversation, mm-hmm. not just this conversation, but where is it in this entire discussion, that I can have the best, the greatest impact and be of the mm-hmm. most help to everyone. You know. And I think the problem is, is that, um, and a problem, so to speak, yeah. that 
everywhere is not as diverse as A-Leaf. Right. So you have um, some people who their communities, their town, everyone is the same. And so for them, because of that, and no fault to them, but that's all that they know, that of course, of course there's equality, of course there's equity. But then when you have communities like ours, we see it. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to convince people that uh, it is something that we have to fight for, because some people feel like, no, it's just, you yeah. know, uh, of course you have it. Like the civil rights movement happened. Yeah, get over and, it. You can vote, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But we're like, that was only... 50 years ago I was alive like I was right (laughs) that's still a modern thing so it's not like we're saying it happened in 1920 right Uh, that was just 50 years ago it's still a new thing and so we're still fighting for these same struggles but like you said there is no I don't think anyone has the answer like how can we come up with the answer the the perfect fix we can like you said the district does a great job of trying to ensure that our students are receiving it, but in places that don't know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, it's hard, like we need for them to get on board, but they don't know how to fix it because they don't see it. I, I don't know the answer. I, I, I do know that it's going to take a couple of key components. One, it's going to take some courage by people, you know, by leaders and by kids, and it's going to take some thought. And it's also, it's also going to take solutions. I mean, we're going back to the protest or the whatever you want to call it, riots, whatever you want to call them. I don't, that brought attention, which is the first part of the equation. Now, what mm-hmm. do you do next? And what do you do next? The answer to that is going to have to be assembled and executed by, a, by everyone, as you were talking about. And I, and I think about, I think about like this district. So I've, I've been here 10 years and I don't look like 98% of our kids, 90, mm-hmm. whatever. I don't, I don't have those experiences. I don't, I, I don't, I'm under no illusion. I don't pretend to. I think that's the most offensive thing I could do is act like it. But what I've learned in working with African-Americans or Latinos or Asians or other, other ethnicities, everybody just wants a fair shake. They just, they just mm-hmm. want to be treated equitably. You know, they just want to, mm-hmm. they just want a fair. So going back to your capitalism conversation, yeah, there's the opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity to open their own business but it's a lot harder to get a loan from XYZ Bank or a small business mm-hmm. loan for some than others. And and then that's when you start looking at that institutional kind of, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, biases, if you will. And and it's and I don't even know if it's a conscious. I don't know if there's someone sitting there like thinking like, you know what, I'm not. It, it just has been so entrenched. And mm-hmm. uh, and I've learned that. I mean, like I said, observing and, and watching and, and trying to assimilate myself into a place that I can help the, in, in, in my profession, students get out mm-hmm. of that. I, I was told, I don't know if you remember when I first got here, we had a convocation when I first got here and the gentleman basically encouraged principals and superintendents. He goes, you should go find your local black church, your black pastor and go up and ask them to speak to your, to the congregation, introduce yourself tell them you love their kids and then sit down. Mm-hmm. I did that. I went, I got up Sunday mornings for a good Lord, a year and a half. I can't remember how many and went to some seven o'clock services. I'm going to tell you at seven o'clock, they had the walls. Right. <laughs> I was seeing, I was, I was seeing the spirit, right. but, but, but no, I stood up there and I said, listen, you don't know me. I don't know you. We probably don't have a whole lot in common in terms of our life experiences, but I care about your kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, Oh, 
preach on, bro. I mean, they just and, and ever since then, I, that's I've just kind of the, the role that we can play in my and, and, and I'm using me as an example here, but the role that that different people can play who may not have those experiences or may not. Mm-hmm. There's roles for them and there's meaningful mm-hmm. places for them to be so that that this equitable distribution of opportunity is, is a real thing. Right. I think um, so. If we go back to the summer and we had uh, we saw so many Black Lives Matter yeah. protests. We did see a, a lot of white people who said, you know, this is wrong. Yeah. And I think a terminology that was used was saying, OK, well, these are our white allies, but I don't need you to be my ally. I need you to fight with me. Yeah. And a part of fighting with me is, yes, acknowledging that it's wrong, but taking the action or the step to say, you know, let's do something different. So, like you said, going out into the communities and saying, we care about your kids. I, I tell my kids all the time that have a great day and remember Miss Williams loves you. Yeah. You know, so when people know that you care about them, genuinely care about them, then um, they're they're willing to fight right alongside with you. And so, of course, everyone's not going to we're not going to all interlock arms all the time. But like I said, people who are in key positions, take a chance, you know, hire someone or set that program or, you know, I think it's an action not just words. And that's what people are looking for. Don't just stand by me, stand with me at the march and, you know, post on social media, but what is the action that you're going to take? And if people look at the positions that they're in, maybe there is something that even if it's a small role, there is something that you, you can do. That is so true. It's one thing to be the cheerleader or even, or even the person walking down the street protesting versus the person who walks down the street and protests, but then, when all the cameras are gone and when all the, the adrenaline that comes from all that kind of stuff is gone, are they the ones that are actually helping bring about a solution to the very reason they were walking down the street in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm hoping as we, as we have this conversation and people listen or watch this, watch this that there is a, uh, maybe a reminder to all of us and, and, mm-hmm. and, and white people, I'll just tell you, you know, the people that were enraged and outraged and, you know, shoulder to shoulder walking down the street that we haven't lost that same sense of camaraderie, you know, that same sense of, okay, you're hurting. This is hurting me too. Right. And and I know that's a difficult thing. That, that's a, I mean, you get into the tentacles of, of race relations and mm-hmm. different cultures and uh, it, it, it gets really deep and there's a lot of layers to be pulled back. But at the very surface of that is, is just people trying to help people. Right. We're in a society, our society has a short memory. You know, something happens and it catches our attention. So again, we go back to the summer and we're all fired up about the summer. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we got to August or September, well, yeah, black lives don't matter. Yeah. But now yeah. we're, you know, wrapped up into something else. We're wrapped up into something else. And so I said, okay, well, we march. So now what is our second step? And I think that's kind of a frustrating thing with, with our students is that they want to take action and so we got out there, we protested, but it's kind of like, okay, well, what? <laughs> yeah. what do we do now? Now that the protest is over, what do we do now? And just if we all have conversations with our students and, you know, if conversations, and it's crazy because we would like for conversations to be the same if in all the school, because that's what political socialization, that's a big part of schools, right? So we're teaching the kids the same thing, no matter where you are. But I think when it comes to certain issues like social justice, 
again, it goes back to the impact. Yeah. Well, if my community is not impacted as much, I don't know if I could really have yeah. that conversation. And then some parents have to be, you know, uh, receptive of it because Definitely. a teacher could have that conversation and then the kid goes home and the next thing you know, the principal's getting a call about a conversation that a teacher had and the teacher has good intentions, mm-hmm. but it was received negatively. That has probably been occurring in the, over the last four years. And President Trump had a lot to do with that. I'm not getting into partisan politics, mm-hmm. but I remember the same thing happening when Pre- when uh, Barack Obama was elected president. Mm-hmm. We had parents calling saying, we don't want us to stop school and show the inauguration across the uh, across the school monitors. You know, it, as a school system, we've had to deal with so many of these social issues and mm-hmm. teachers, God bless you, that have been in the classroom for so long, especially teaching the course that you teach in the, the age group that you teach. You're talking to young adults. How a public school a teacher who teaches in a public, and I mean a public school where we welcome the masses, mm-hmm. how you personally and your colleagues navigate that and work to instill these difficult discussions are had, difficult but necessary. And it, this is a very loose term, but without getting into a point where it just creates more more controversy than the conversation was worth. And, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> uh, it's definitely, um, it's, it's funny because kids always want to know, Ms. Williams, what do you think? Yeah. Exactly. And so <laughs> who'd you vote for? Who'd right. Vote? Right. Yeah. And I tell them, you know, I said, well, um, I can't tell you that. And and some other kids will say, well, she can't say that. She can't say I, I try to come from a very nonpartisan yeah. perspective. I really try to give um, both sides, you know, of an argument or viewpoints and, you know, try to make sure I tell them, I say, I'm not saying I'm against this. I'm not <laughs> right. against him. I'm just saying what some people say, yeah. not Miss Williams words, but some people say that. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I do feel like because even teachers, I mean, we're human, so yeah. we can be passionate yeah. about some issues. We do have to be mindful. And I think especially in government, like I, I have to be mindful of the things that I say, yeah. uh, I, I, I remind you guys all the time that you're in public education, and a lot of times we forget the public part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that while there is there's nothing wrong with sharing points of view and doing exactly what you describe, every once in a while, and, and it happens everywhere, there's personal opinions come out, and and we have mm-hmm. to you know we have to deal with those. But uh, uh, I hope for those teachers that are listening to this and who do and you know want to have these conversations with kids, regardless of what age they are. I want them to know, I want these discussions to be had. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to be organic and I, or, or start, I don't, however they get started, but I, I want employees and staff members to feel comfortable talking about it and not, and, and this is where it gets tricky. You, you can't insert your own personal point of view into a discussion that should be a neutral, in other words, it should just be kids. This, this mm-hmm. is about the kid's point of view, not yours mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Not yours mm-hmm. to influence. You're the facilitator of a conversation that's about a sensitive topic, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it's elections or race or religion or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And people in social studies are having the diff- most difficult challenge doing that. We had um, last semester, uh, and again, this it's it's easier to manage discussions um, in a classroom. Yeah. So, but last semester we had a conversation um, on Zoom. And uh, we were talking about police brutality and that's always like a trigger. Mm -hmm. And it starts out as, you know, I I lay the ground rules 
that you respect other people's opinions. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. This is an opportunity for you to educate someone else on something they may not right. see it that way. And um, some kids, they get very tense. They get, they get, you know, and then again, it's, well, what do you think, Ms. Williams? And I, I speak from a mother. I say, as a mother, yeah. this is how I feel. But as your teacher, I understand yeah. where you're coming from. So it is, I think that's another part of school, teaching them how to respect other people's opinions, that we yeah. can have yeah. these conversations. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, what do they always say? You never talk about politics and religion. I said, but in government, we can't get around politics. Right. So you have to respect that other person's opinion. Hear what they have to say, because it may be something that you never thought of or that you don't know um, that could change your mind. I think, what we and you do this every day, there's plenty of room in the educational system to talk about politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's plenty of room in it. I think where a, a lot of times, and it's the same way with race, there's plenty of room to talk about mm-hmm. race relations and I don't know, regardless of what people's opinions are, I think the the trick is, like you said earlier, is to allowing this discussion to kind of be a student-led discussion where they're not only are they voicing their opinion and trying to get, you know, I always said, I'm not trying to talk you anything. I'm just giving you something to think about, mm-hmm. you know, just just think about it. That's the that's the magic of that type of discussion is where, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think about it that way, as opposed to what adults typically do. We get passionate and argue and and right, right now, I, I've, it seems like we're all polarized to a point where we individually we talk and everybody seems fine. But then you get as a collective group and we're we're as divided as a country politically mm-hmm. as well as uh, racially in some cases as, as we've ever been. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to tell you, Crystal, if we're not teaching it in schools. We're in trouble. This needs to be a conversation being had. And I don't care how how sensitive or how how delicate the topics are. Right. And if we go back to like sensitive topics, so interacting with the police, that has now become a, a unit in government that we have to teach how mm-hmm. to interact with police. And I tell the kids, okay, you know, <laughs> here's the topic. That is, again, something that that was what they were very passionate about with, because they felt like, well, why do we need to learn how to interact with the police? They should learn how to interact with us. <laughs> so, well, it has to be a two-way street. Yes. Okay. I, I acknowledge. I totally agree with you. But let's here are tools for you to use that could help manage that interaction. Of course, we know you could do everything right and it could still go wrong, but let's make sure you know what to do, like what your rights are. What's the general consensus about law enforcement from from students? Are black kids still scared to death? Is it kind of that? Many of them are, and, and it's interesting because for some who have not had an interaction. So there, you know, during the lesson, I asked the kids, raise your hand if you've ever had an interaction with the police, if you've ever been pulled over. And um, was it a positive or a negative interaction? And so there are some kids that say, oh, it was, you know, it was really positive. He was real cool. I got a warning or this happened. And then there are some kids who (laughs) they say, well, Miss Williams, no, it wasn't positive that, you know, it was me and my friends. We were hanging out and um, they pulled us out of the car and we had to sit on the curb and well, what did you do? And he said, well, why do you assume we did something? (laughs) Well, they pulled you out of the car and he said, well, we were just driving and they pulled us over and uh, told us to get out and asked us all these questions. And when we checked out, we could go. And he said, well, that happens to us all the time. So we do have some kids who black and Hispanic students who say that happens to them all the time. 
they're very angry about it because they feel like, you know, it's not fair. And, and, and I feel like, you know, it's interesting because I, I can relate to what they're saying. It's the same thing. You know, um, I tell the kids, if I'm in the hallway doing duty and 10 kids walk by that don't have on IDs and I just call one, then that one kid is going to be like, why, why are you picking on me mm-hmm. when the rest of them walk by you? You didn't say anything. And I said, well, that's how people feel. You know, it's not just simply like, well, just do what they say. If I feel like there is no reason for you to pull me over or I've, I'm doing everything right and you're, you know, merely just picking on me or profiling me, um, I'm going to be upset. But I think one of the things that, again, from a teacher and a mother perspective with that unit, well, here are some tools that you can use so that you can walk away. It's okay to be frustrated, right? It is very frustrating. We we all feel it because if you feel like it's an injustice that uh, someone is singling you out um, and you haven't done anything wrong, yeah, you are going to be frustrated by that. But at the same time, let's see how we handle that frustration. Right. Um, what, what type of way? If you are armed with your rights and you know what you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot say, then maybe you'll have a better opportunity of walking away from that than just kind of blowing up. Police brutality didn't start with George Floyd. Right. Right. I mean, a lot of people think it did, but I mean, we, we all know this this has been going on, my gosh, for right. the history of this country. Right. What I found interesting about about how his case sparked everything was, yes, it was a white guy that did it. But it was almost for the first time you almost saw somebody that it actually looked like it didn't bother him while he was mm-hmm. like the video that went out, you know, the video that went viral, his facial expressions. And right. I've had some people, some friends of mine who said, yeah, I knew it was there and I knew I'm, I'm not happy that, you know, we're profiled or because but I never, ever I didn't get emotional or incensed about it until watching his face like that, mm-hmm. that expression. I'm, I don't know if kids talk about that or if that's. But I'm just thinking in terms of this whole that I never thought about it that way. Like I didn't. Right. Until it was brought to my attention. I didn't think of it. I said, yeah, I saw him. I mean. Uh, right. I think something that the students bring out is that when we see a situation like George Floyd happen, that the narrative is not that he was killed, but what he did. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the kids were like, you know, it's it's the action we have. To, let's be angry at the action. It, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, what got him if he wasn't fighting, you know, he wasn't (laughs) he wasn't resisting in that manner. um, Why are we bringing up a past that he has? Uh, That's the thing personally for me that is very frustrating, whether it was George Floyd or I go back. And and I really feel like Ahmaud Arbery really sticks home to me because I have a son and my son goes jogging all the time. Or he did, you know, he he's away at college. And when he came home after that happened, it was being nervous because he's been gone for months and it was, well, new people have moved in. What if they don't know him? He's six foot three. He's athletically built, you know, what could happen? And the fact that, you know, the media will bring in a past arrest that he had, you know, that's not the point. The point is that he lost his life in a senseless matter when he didn't have to. And I think if disagreeing with saying a police officer was wrong, you're not against them. Yeah, you can not, still support con- them. Yeah, you're not condemning all of them. Right, right. You can still support them, but saying that they were wrong is important. Like, we all have to admit that. You can't say, well, well, yeah, that happened, but but they were doing this, or but he had this in his system. It doesn't matter. The action was wrong. And I think, you know, kids can 
because they sound like I said earlier, they can see it can be them. Yep. And they they want society to stand up for them to make sure that that doesn't happen. You know, there was a little girl last week, nine years old, pepper spray. Okay. That is something that hits home. <laughs> People say that it was wrong so that we don't see those type of things happening again. Um, now, something I can say is that when we have our officers in the schools here, I feel like our officers do a great job of building relationships. The kids love Officer Sherman. Yeah, he's a good guy. And, you know, I think he has a really good relationship. And and that makes a difference. Just like the relationship that you have with your teacher will change the behavior of a student. Uh, the relationship that, you know, we have with police officers can change. So if there is, we're having a community, right? If you're going to be in the community, don't just parole patrol the community, be a part of the community, yeah. know the people in the community. And that way you can build a relationship. Go back to that little girl. She's been scarred. <laughs> that little nine-year-old girl, yeah. her feelings towards a police officer yeah. Yeah. for the rest of her life yeah. is See, going to be negative. That's exactly right. We need to have it. If it's, it's a part of the system, you know, to make the system work better, people have to have a certain amount of trust. You know, I have to believe that if my child is having a mental health crisis and I need help. I need to feel like I can trust, I can call the police for help and they will come and help me and not fear that they're going to, you know, kill my child. And then I don't call and something ends up happening to me. Like that kind of stuff happens all the time, but it's because that trust is gone that people aren't trusting. And, and sometimes I don't think it's hard for some people to understand why? <laughs> what do you mean you don't trust the police? Well, because look at the track record. Yeah. It may not happen to you, but look at what's happening to my community, to me. Yeah. And so that, that trust isn't there and, and it has to be rebuilt. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, as a person speaking from no experience that obviously not having, not having any of that experience, I know the, ex- the rationale a lot of times is, well, that's one bad apple or that was one. That's not a reflection of the. And that's true. That is true. That is not a reflection of mm-hmm. of uh, of that of a law enforcement. It's almost a profession where, where, where you don't have room for error. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you I've, I find this 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 conversation fascinating, uh, not because not because it's like I said earlier, not because it's February or not because it's because in my in my opinion, there have not been nearly enough of these discussions mm-hmm. at younger education, in my opinion, that continue and sustain so that we actually do potentially see a change in how we view each other as adults. I mean, how many how many people have seen that little video back in the summer where that little two-year-old black boy and two-year-old white boy are on the sidewalk and they run? Mm-hmm. You know, those mm-hmm. two little boys didn't see color. Mm-hmm. At some point, we taught them that. It's right. some, at some point they were taught that, right? Right, right. And it's okay because it's a reality of 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 existence. It's a, but it's but we also have to make sure that it by learning about different people's cultures and races, etc. We've got to be able to we got to have this sense of yeah, but we got to work together and we've got to mm-hmm. function together and we're all God's children, you know. In my opinion, mm-hmm. in, you know, in terms of of how you look at it, so mm-hmm. I do appreciate your your time on this and and we've probably gone longer than <laughs> than uh than we should have but uh as i told you i could i i, I think this is a rich discussion that right. needs to be had in a variety of different settings right 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 and that's what i think i, I think and and it kind of goes back to something you said before how can we change it 
well, if there are conversations that are being had across the board, not just in diverse school districts, but in not so diverse school districts, because it is something that's going to impact all of us, you know, and um, just to acknowledge and see where people stand and see, you know, what life is like for someone else and to actually acknowledge that that happens, that there is racism, that there is discrimination, but we are at a point where we all know it now. Let's do something about yeah, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping that this 45, 50 minutes of us talking, white male, black female, same profession, don't know each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that people like us can just have these discussions and have these conversations about about this topic. And and again, I'm going to repeat myself, but I want I want teachers and staff members who work with children, you know, appropriately to have the conversation with them at the, you know, I don't know about a pre-K or a kindergartner, but at some point these children start, like I said, they start recognizing the differences. And the, someone asked me one time, they said, you know, when my daughter was first, second, third grade, she came home and she'd want me to put pictures that she had done in art class on the refrigerator. And, and I'd look at them and I think, my God, mm-hmm. you drew outside the lines. You didn't even have the right colors. And, you know, as a mom, I'm going to put them on there because I'm proud of my daughter, but they're not that good. Mm-hmm. She goes, but at some point someone told my daughter she wasn't a good artist. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, at some point she wasn't that cute little second grader. Someone said, you know, that's not very good. Mm-hmm. And now she doesn't want any, she's, that little child doesn't want their artwork on the refrigerator. Well, it's the same way with, with this discussion. I mean, they're, these little ones don't see it. At some point, society, we, families, communities we we begin explaining this is what this is what this is this is what it, we're black they're white they're hispanic mm-hmm. whatever and i'm hoping these discussions are are helpful so mm-hmm. that's it so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank you very much i appreciate i really do appreciate it and we're gonna we're gonna follow up we're gonna keep talking okay. about this we really are one of the next episodes on this so i'm gonna get you to get some kids okay some students that i keep calling them kids <laughs> <laughs> some some young men young women to uh uh to join this conversation Right. Okay. From their hear from their point of view. Okay. Definitely. 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 It was definitely my pleasure. Well, thank you again. Appreciate you. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your evening and the rest of the week. Okay. All right. You too. All right. Bye. This has been Impact Ed. I'm HD Chambers. Have a great day. This has been an AMP production.